Well, we're to the the end of the road with uh, the book of Daniel. We've spent uh, a good four months now working our way through the book of Daniel. All 12 chapters. We're now to the last chapter, chapter 12. And as we've worked our way through Daniel, there's a lot that we've seen, but we've had some recurring themes of of the opposing world and, and the worldview of the world that, that pulls us away from God and, and that great opposition. And we see Daniel and his friends and how they stand in that. In fact, the first half of the book, we see kind of how to live in a world that is opposed to God. Some very practical stories of them living in the midst of that. But as we go further in this book, we get to the second half and where we've been the last few weeks in chapter 7 now all the way up through 12. And we see these different visions that God gives Daniel And some of the themes repeating in those divisions is God's faithfulness and his sovereignty throughout history and in the world and when there's difficulty and all these things. And in all of this, kind of in the in the story of just who Daniel is and the way he's seeking the Lord and his faithfulness, but God's faithfulness to him, is we continue to see Daniel just wrestling and longing with wanting to see Israel restored in this exile. Remember, Daniel was living in Babylon, being forcibly taken there as a young man, as a teenager, and then he lived his entire life, his entire adult life in Babylon. And he's praying that Israel would be restored and he would see these things. And so wrestling with all of that. But we get to these last few chapters and he keeps getting these visions that God's giving him. And really what it's telling him over and over is after this Babylon, literally Babylon that he's living in, there's going to be a lot more Babylons that are going to come, that are going to look just like this whether it's the Medes and the Persians or it's the Greeks after them or the Romans after them. And he keeps seeing these visions of how things are going to be difficult and they're going to continue to be difficult and there's going to continue to be this struggle ongoing. And so you see that all the way through this book. And some of it's, if you can put yourself in Daniel's shoes for just a second, is really hard to hear. When is this going to happen and when are we going to be restored? And the answer comes back, well, it's going to get worse and there's going to be more bad things and there's going to continue to be this struggle. And if you stop and think about it, maybe you can put yourself in his shoes. You can imagine how that feels, right? Maybe you can imagine the last, oh, 18 months, last two years, all the changes in the world and all the things that we've gone through and pandemic and all that goes with that and the way that that's brought division and struggle and all sorts of things. And imagine you're praying to God, when is this going to end? When are things going to go back to normal? And the answer comes back, they're not going back to normal. It's going to happen again and again and another one after that. And you can imagine hearing that and going, whoa, this is rough. And I think we see some of that in Daniel. In fact, we saw that at the beginning last time, at the beginning of chapter 10, as Daniel is mourning and struggling with everything that he's seen and coming to grips with all of it. But we get here to the end of the book of Daniel, in chapter 12 in particular, and what we see here gives us hope. Gives Daniel hope, but it also gives us hope as we look at it. And I want to remind you, whenever I say this, when we talk biblically about the idea of hope, it does give us hope, but the idea biblically of what hope is is very different than our English word hope. Oftentimes we say, well, I hope that works out. And what we mean is kind of a wishy-washy, maybe it will, maybe it's not, but I'm going to be optimistic. That's not what the Bible means when it talks about hope. A biblical hope is based on God's word and who he is. And when God says something, it's going to happen. And so when we have a biblical hope, what that means is a confident assurance in what is to come. We are certain. And it's going to come to pass. 
And so as we look here at the very end of Daniel, God's going to speak to Daniel and he's going to tell him what's coming. He's going to show him. He's not going to get the fullness that we now have in the fullness of the Bible, but we'll talk about that this morning. But he gives him uh, a sketch of what is to come. And when he gets this kind of sketch of what it is, it gives him hope because he now understands. And all that Daniel's seen and all he's seen of who God is and the way he's working, he can trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And so the way I want us to look at chapter 12 today is just this. First of all, what is coming? What does he say here about what is coming? And then secondly, in light of this hope, how should we then live? So what is coming? And then in light of the hope that we now have, the confident assurance of what is coming, how should we then now live? So let's just start with what is coming here at the beginning of chapter 12. But I want to go back for just a second because last week we really looked at chapter 10 and then we kind of ran through chapter 11 real quickly. Chapter 11 kind of retells some of the same visions. It gives us some more details in different spots, but it's really kind of unfolding for you very similar to the visions that we saw earlier in chapter 7 and chapter 8 and the end of chapter 9. And what we saw in that, this vision that God gives Daniel, is it starts in chapter 10, but then as we get into chapter 11, really it lays out for us what's coming in the future, the different rise and falls of kingdoms, the many Babylons that are coming after the Babylon he now lives in, which has already begun at this time as Daniel gets this, right? Remember we've talked about he's in Babylon, but then the Medes and Persians come in and they take over and they're starting to allow people to go back. And Daniel's right in the middle of that transition. So he's already starting to see what God has told him is going to happen is now beginning to happen. But in this vision, what he gets is there's going to be many more Babylons that were going to come again and again and again. And he tells them in great detail, the Medes and the Persians and then the Greeks led by Alexander the the great, and then after that, the Romans, and he's unfolding for him how this is going to continue to happen. There's going to be this rise and fall in these nations that come, and all these nations are going to be in the same, cut from the same cloth as Babylon is. That is ignoring God, proclaiming we can make a name for ourselves and we don't need God, and that's going to continue to be a thing. But then you get towards the end of chapter 11, and all of a sudden we have this picture of a leader that's coming that's going to be really really awful so bad in so many ways that it doesn't seem to fit anyone in history to that point although it kind of touches on some of them but it seems to be future we talked about last week that it's a picture of what the bible talks about is the antichrist that is against god in every way that will come in the last days and seek to lead people astray and we see that in chapter 11 like verse 36 and 37 it says and the king shall do as he wills He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every God and shall speak astonishing things against the God of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any God for he shall magnify himself above all. And it's like the ultimate manifestation of the spirit of Babylon. Right? Remember, we started at the very beginning of this series talking about Babylon begins with the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel, the cry of the people was, let us make a name for ourselves. And here will come one that's going to glorify himself and ignore God and, and set himself up against God. And he says, this is coming. And so Daniel sees all this, this ultimate manifestation of the spirit of Babylon. And he gets this in this vision that 
Babylon's going to end, but there's going to be many more Babylons and it's going to continue to get worse. And then we get to the beginning of chapter 12. In chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, At this time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. And let's just stop there for just a second. And what he's telling Daniel and what he's leading to is there's going to come a time of trouble as if you've never seen before. It's going to be as bad as everything that you've ever seen, which is saying a lot to Daniel, right? Remember what Daniel has lived through. He watched the Babylonians come in and destroy Jerusalem and brutally lay waste to his homeland and take those people forcibly into Babylon where he has lived his whole life. And so God is now saying to him, that's nothing. It's going to be worse. And this is what's coming. And so he gets this, this vision of it's going to get worse. But then he says, at this trouble, there should be a time of trouble. This is never seen. But then at that time, your people shall be delivered. And so I want us just to think about that for a second. It's going to get worse and then there's going to be a deliverance. And I think a good way to think about this is the way the Apostle Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8. In the beginning, in the middle, towards the middle end of last third of Romans 8, he starts to talk about the new creation that's coming. That's already begun in us because of what Christ has done. But God is going to bring the fullness of that into his creation. And Paul uses an analogy there in Romans chapter 8 of a woman in labor. That's a good analogy that he uses, right? And so he says this in Romans chapter 8. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Or maybe another way to say that is creation is going to be released from the oppression of the Babylons of the age. They're going to be gone. And they're going to be taken away. And the corruption and all those things, it's going to be alleviated and it's going to be gone. And then he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And I like the analogy that Paul uses because it goes nicely with everything the scripture says. It kind of pulls it together in a lot of ways is that as we move towards the final end of history, when Jesus will return, there's going to be things. There's going to be times like labor pains, right? If you've ever seen labor up close, I've been there three times for that. I've I've watched it up close. Maybe you've seen it up close. Some of you have experienced it and know it far greater than anything I can tell you. Some of you kind of are vaguely aware that having a baby is hard. But in in birth and in labor, there's labor pains and there's contractions that come. And they start slowly and they're not that intense. And then suddenly they get more intense and then they get closer together. And then they get to the most intense that they possibly can be. And then the baby is birthed. And what Paul's saying is we have been groaning under the labor pains. And we're moving towards this glorious future that God has for us. But like labor, it's getting more intense. And it may ease up and we may see things happen where it seems like revival is coming. And revival comes and God's working and then it gets harder and then it eases up and it gets harder. But what it's telling us here is we're getting towards the end is right before the end is the most difficult. It'll be like anything that you haven't seen before is what he tells Daniel. But then you will be delivered. Then the deliverance will come. 
It's a great analogy. It's a great way to think about it. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, the disciples are asking him, what are we going to get? Us, the guys that have followed you, who've left everything, that have come after you, what's it going to be like? And Jesus, and you may just gloss over this when you read in Matthew 19, but he says, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne in the new world, and then he says, you'll get way more, and it'll be wonderful. But he says, in the new world, uh, the, the word is palagenesia, in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on his throne. And what that word means is when all things are set right. When all things are made new, when all things of all of creation is rebirthed into the glory of what God created it to be, and he redeems every bit of it. And when he sits on his throne and it's brought into this beautiful fullness of everything that he created it to be. And so Daniel here gets from God as he's telling him, it's going to get really difficult and there's going to be a time of intensity like you've never seen, but then you will be delivered. And that's what's coming And so he tells him that it's going to come, that yes, there's going to be many Babylons that rise and there's going to continue to be this battle throughout history of those that will want to pull you away from God, to ignore him in the world he created, continue to say it's all about us, but God is going to bring that to an end. But until he does, it's going to continue to be this battle. But what he says though here is that it is going to come, that he is going to come and bring an end to it. This battle is finally going to end. The battle between the seed of Eve, the woman, the promise of the seed of Eve that we looked at way back, if you were here at the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, and the seed of the serpent, which gives birth to the age, uh, the idea of Babylon and the age that comes after it, that we can be all about ourselves. And so if you don't remember that, or you weren't here at the very beginning, or you're not real clear on what happens in Genesis 3, but Genesis 3 is the fall of Adam and Eve. Because they're in the garden and they're there and everything's great. And the serpent comes up and says, you don't need God. You can do this on your own, right? That's the birth of the idea of Babylon. The, the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the age. You don't actually need God. You can be God yourself. You can make these decisions for yourself. You can ignore him and everything. And right there at the beginning is the seed of that. And what happens? They go, yeah, okay, that sounds pretty good. We'll try that. And immediately everything falls apart. Immediately they see and they know that they're naked. Immediately there's, there's doubt and, and fear. There's guilt and shame and all these things come flooding in and right there they blow it. And God comes and seeks them out. And he says, what have you done? You didn't listen to me. I told you, you don't want this. But right there at the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, he turns to them and he says, through your seed, Eve, is going to come one that's going to crush the serpent, the snake, Satan, the deceiver. He says, but it's going to be hard. And in the meantime, it's going to be this battle and it's going to be difficult. And so God has told us this from the very beginning. And we see that being played out all the way through. And we get here to Daniel, some 583 years or so, Before Jesus will come. And God reminds Daniel that he's not forgotten his promise. It's still going to come. And it's still going to be hard. And there's still going to be a battle. And it's going to come to its head. But when it does, I'm going to deliver my people. Is what he says. And so here he's reminding him of what is coming. But that as things get closer, that it's going to be difficult. 
Now, Daniel's looking ahead, way out in the future now. God is showing him this is going to happen. We have more of God's revelation than Daniel did. And so we can see it more fully even than Daniel can at that moment. And there's a part of this that Daniel can't see quite in that, but I think that we can now see as we look at the picture of all of it. And so what you have is Jesus is coming, that promise in Genesis 3.15. Here in Daniel, he's telling him he's going to bring redemption. I'm going to save you. But he doesn't see the fullness of what that's going to look like in Jesus quite yet. But we do, right? We can read Daniel and see he's 600 years before Jesus. And then we can see Jesus. And then we can see into the future about what is to come. And so we have a bigger picture. And so I want you just to think about this for just a second. We still live waiting for the the final fulfillment of what he's saying here. When Jesus brings the final consummation of everything. But we also see that Jesus has already come and defeated Satan. Defeated sin and death. We live in what we call the already but not yet. He's already won, but we're waiting for the final consummation. But I want you to think about why there's going to be this kind of final battle. Some of what's happening there. Even though Jesus has won. And so I want you just to think about how Jesus has won for just a second. I want you to think about how he's already crushed the head of the snake. That very promise in Genesis 3.15. He did that on the cross. And so think for just a second about what power that Satan actually has in your life. He has the power to accuse. He can distort the truth. He operates in guilt and in shame and deception. He can point to you and remind you that the wages of sin is death and you're going to die. That can be scary. It can be hard, right? Like. You're going to, that's the fact. We're all in this room. Unless Jesus returns, we're all going to die. And so Satan can use that. Death is scary. And you don't really know what's beyond that. And those are the powers that Satan has. He takes the truth and he distorts it and he applies it in such a way to attack and seek to destroy you. But see, when Jesus comes, he strips Satan of all his power. Because Jesus comes and he lives the life that we haven't lived. He does everything that we failed in, but he does it perfectly. And he comes to the end of his life, the great covenant keeper that deserves all the blessings of every covenant God's ever made with man. Because he's done all of them perfectly. And Jesus says, but no, I'm going to willingly lay my life down for you. And I will take your sin upon myself and I will pay for it. And I will do for you what you could never, ever do for yourself. And then I will willingly lay my life down and I will take the punishment that you deserve And then I will gloriously raise again from the dead, showing that death has been defeated. That forgiveness is now available. That guilt and shame can be wiped away. And so as we stand right now today, Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. And everything that is in Satan's arsenal and in his power to attack you, you are a desperate sinner who deserves God's wrath. And you say, yes, I am, but Jesus took it for me. And he goes, yeah, but you're guilty and you're a hypocrite. And you go, yes. And I stand by the grace of God and what Jesus has done for me. And then he can attack you. But you're undeserving and you can't change and you're going to continue in the same sins. And you say, no, I'm a new creation because I have the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. 
and is remaking me day by day into Jesus's image. He goes, yeah, but you're going to die. And you go, yes, I am. And when I do, Jesus is going to be there to take me by the hand and bring me into his presence for eternity because of what he's done for me. And so right now, Satan has been crushed. Jesus has driven him into the ground. And he is mortally wounded. And so he's going to seek to take anyone down he can with him. I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but I have this image very, very vividly in my mind when I was a little boy. I was in second grade, I believe. We lived in East Texas. And I'm playing on the back deck with my brothers and my cousins. And as little boys do, you go to use the bathroom in the woods. And I went over getting ready to use the bathroom and looked down and at my feet was a snake. And it was all curled up, ready to strike. I went, whoa. And I ran in and told my mom. And so she called my grandfather who lived a block away. And he came over with a shovel. And he went back there and he looked. He went, whoa, that's a copperhead. It's a good thing you didn't go to the bathroom on the copperhead right at your feet. But he took the shovel out and he took it and he cut the snake's head off. He said, we don't want copperheads around when you guys are playing. And he cut it off. And he cut it off just below its neck, but about that much of his head and his body. The body started flopping all over. And he took the head of the snake and he set it on our back deck. And he took the shovel and he said, you got to be careful. I cut its head off, but watch. And he put this, the shovel up by its teeth and it snapped. And then he took the shovel and he put it up under his fangs. And he said, look, there's still poison in there. And he kind of pushed on it and he showed you. He said, even though its head's gone, it can still put poison in you. So be careful. That is Satan. Jesus has come and destroyed him. And he's crushed him. And he's mortally wounded. And it's almost over. But he's going to try to snap at anything he can. And so here, God's telling Daniel that it's going to come to this fullness. But there's going to be this time right at the end where it's going to get hard. And it's going to be difficult. But then look at what he says next. There shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness shall shine like the stars forever and ever. And so he says, Jesus is coming and he's going to deliver. He's going to bring it to its end. Yes, it's going to get difficult, but you're going to be delivered. Now, I want you to think about what he says there. Because he says a couple things that make how that's going to work and what it looks like. He says, your people will be delivered. Those that are found written in the book. And then he says, many who sleep will come to life, right? He says, those uh, who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. And so what's he talking about? Who are the people and what's the book and who's written in it? What does that look like? And so there's some things that God shows Daniel and tells him here that I don't think he fully can understand or see, but we see when we have the fullness of the biblical view of what's happening. Because God in his revelation to us and the fullness of his word kind of fleshes that out for us and shows us. 
And so what we see is when Jesus comes and he finishes his work and the fullness of what he does, his finished work that we're just talking about, the death he died for us and what he's done for us. And now he's gloriously raised again. And he completes the promise that was given way back in Genesis 3. Through your seed, Eve is going to come this one. Same promise that he gave to Abraham. Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And I'm going to give you tons of descendants. And I'm going to give you a land. And I'm going to bless the world through your seed. All of that comes to fulfillment in Jesus. All of the Old Testament is pointing ahead to who Jesus is and what he would do. And so what we get when we get to the New Testament in the fullness, and and I don't think Daniel can quite grasp all of this in this moment. Maybe he did. Maybe he knows more than I give him credit for. But when it talks about your people that I'm going to deliver, the New Testament tells us that all those that are in Jesus are heirs according to the promises God has given. That in Christ that we are now all brought into God's family. Right, Galatians chapter 3. For now that faith has come, you are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Hear what Paul's saying. He's writing to a mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles that are struggling with what it looks like to be a Christian. And he says, we're all the same in Jesus. And all the promises that God has brought in, uh, that he promised even to Abraham, is all those that are in Christ. And so I think when, when God says to Daniel, I'm going to deliver your people, he's talking about all those that are heirs according to the promise because of what Jesus has done. He's looking way off into the future. And so the people he's talking about here are all those that have put their faith in Jesus. But notice he says, but it's also uh, your people, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And then he talks about those who have fallen asleep will be raised and brought forward and some to everlasting life and to some to everlasting contempt. And what Daniel just gets in shadows, he gets God's going to fix everything. He's going to bring it to its end. There's going to be this dividing And then it's going to be over. He doesn't see the fullness, but we do. We see it more fully than even he did because of the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the Revelation of John, it talks about the books. The books that will be opened on the last days. In Revelation chapter 20, we're going to stand before God and there's going to be two books that are opened. One is called the book of works and one is called the book of life. And we're going to stand before God in the fullness of who he is. And we're going to see him for who he is. And Jesus is going to be our judge. And there's going to be the book of works and the book of life. And I want you to think about it like this. Because we've talked about this a lot as we were going through the book of Romans. If you were with us. There's really only two ways to operate. The spirit of Babylon that says what the world says. You can make a name for yourself. You can exalt yourself and it's about you and it's what you do and who you are and your works and it's all about me. God will let me into heaven because I'm a pretty good person and I've done these things. But the problem is none of us deserves to be in the presence of a holy, righteous, perfect God. And the other, the only other option is that you come to realize that, that I am a sinner that doesn't deserve to be in the presence of a holy, righteous God. And I desperately need a savior. And when I come to that realization, I say, God, save me. I am a sinner. 
All those things that Satan can attack you with are true. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his mercy. But God in his infinite mercy and grace offers it through what Jesus has done for us. And when you say, yes, I'm a sinner and I desperately need Jesus. God says, yes, I've got you. And Jesus, who's done for us what we could never do for ourselves, he applies that righteousness to you and you're made perfectly righteous in God's image because of what Christ has done for you. And when you say, I am a sinner and I desperately need you, your name is in the book of life. You know, in Revelation chapter 13, it says it's the book of life of the lamb that was slain. Jesus is the lamb that was slain. The book of life is the book of life of those that have put their faith in in Jesus. And so when we stand before God and he opens up those books, you have two options. You either stand putting your trust in yourself and your works, the book of works, or you stand before God putting yourself in Jesus, the slain lamb that did for us what we can never do for ourselves. And what the Bible clearly says is it's only those that's names that are written in the book of life that will enter into his presence. And here's why. None of us can stand before a holy, righteous God on our own. None of us wants to be judged by our works. None of us wants to stand before God and say, yes, weigh my good and my bad and look at me. Because what is required is perfect righteousness. And none of us has achieved that, only Jesus. And so when he tells Daniel this, there's going to be the ones in the book. And there's going to be those that are raised, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting contempt. Jesus says the same thing. That we're going to stand before him. And those that have put their faith in Jesus. He's going to look at them and say. Well done good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And those that thought they could stand before a holy righteous God. By what they do. That are clinging to the the spirit of the age. The spirit of Babylon. That it's all about me and what I do. He's going to look at them and say. Depart from me I never knew you. Because none of us is perfect. None of us can stand before a holy, righteous God in and of ourselves. It's only through Jesus. And that's what God is showing Daniel here. And he's giving him this glimpse. Now, Daniel doesn't see the fullness of it in the way we do because we have the fullness of God's word. But what he gets is that it's going to get worse. And there's going to continue to be this battle. But hold on because I am going to bring your deliverance. It's the same thing that scripture tells us. We live in the already, not yet. Jesus has already defeated Satan and sin and death. And he's offered us this glorious life in him and he's going to bring it to consummation. So what do we do with that? That's the hope that we have. It's the glorious assurance that we can be confident in because of what Jesus has done. So how do we live in light of that right now? And so a couple things as we end. First two, just about the heart condition. Our emotions and our feelings and how we deal with the world and the things that are going on around us. And the first thing that I would say to you is be encouraged. One of the things, if you really stop and think about it all the way through Daniel, that God keeps showing him. There's going to be the rise of this nation and the fall of this one and this one. That God sees it all. And he's not surprised by any of it. And that he knows that it's going to get worse at different spots. And there's going to be this tightening, this, this struggle And it's going to be really hard in these different places. And he knows every bit of it. And he's at work in all of it. And he's not surprised by any of it. And what he's saying to Daniel here is, I know it's going to get difficult. And I know it's going to come harder. But trust me, because I am going to deliver you. So be encouraged. 
God's timing, the way he's operating, what we think is how can he let this go on for this long, he has a perfect plan that is going to come to fruition and you can trust him in that. So be encouraged. But the second thing I'd say is if we really see what God is saying here and who he is, it should alleviate our fear and our anxiety. We say things in the church sometimes and they can almost become cliché. Great, big, huge truths, and we become flippant about them. God works everything together for your good and his glory. You know what that means? Everything. Even if we're in the last age, even if Jesus is going to return in 10 years and the next 10 years are going to be really, really hard, it'll be for your good and his glory. He's going to bring it all together. He's going to deliver us. And so sometimes, I don't know if you do this, I do this, I'll just confess at different times in my life, I kind of play the game of like, what's the worst possible? Ever do that? It's the way I deal with things. Well, what's the worst possible thing that could happen here? Well, when I started here 12 years ago, I was 32 years old. And I'm dumbfounded by that. That God in his grace uh, put me in this position and the loving men that came along around me and went, we want this idiot to be our pastor. Because <laughs> I look back and go, whoa, God was really gracious. I think we always do that. When you look back 10 years, you go, man, I was an idiot. But what I went through in that is we changed different things and we're going we're to do it this way and we're going to wrestle with this. And, and what happened a lot of times is you just upset everybody. And so for about two years, I would go home and I'd lay down and go, oh, no. What did I get into? What was I thinking? And I'd have this dream that I'd come here on a Sunday morning and I'd get here really early like I do and I'd do all my stuff and then I'd walk in here and no one would be here. It'd just be me. And that'd be the end of it. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> I know my sermon, so I guess I can go home. And I kept thinking that, like, well, well, that's the worst possible. What could happen? And through the years, God just slowly took that away. And it was kind of like, if you show up one day and nobody's here, then this season's over. And I still love you. And I've still got you. And I'm going to still use that for your good. And I love everybody in this church more than you do. And it's okay. And I've got you. And all of a sudden it was like, ah, yeah, okay. And I share that just because that's a microcosm of, I think, what God's kind of saying to Daniel. It's going to get harder and there's going to be ups and downs and there's going to be times, but I've got you. I've got you through every bit of this and you don't have to worry. And so if we really understand what God's saying and we look around at the world, and we start to go, oh no, what about that? And what about this? And God's going, I got it. Yeah, it's going to get hard and there's going to be ups and downs and there's going to be these times, but I am going to deliver you. I'm going to bring it to its rightful end. But then the last thing, if you notice here in this, he says it a couple of times. He actually says it twice to him. In verse 4, he says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. And I think what he's telling him is not hide this away. This isn't just for you. But he's saying, I've given you this, given you this much. And you shut that up and you seal it. It's done. This is the last of what I'm showing you. That's what you get. And you pass that down and you show people and the rest is up to me. And Daniel even says, right, he sees the man clothed in linen in verse 7. 
right? I, I think we talked about this last week, but the person clothed in linen and the voice that's like the roaring waters and all the things sounds an awful lot like Jesus in the book of Revelation. And I think that's who it is standing there. And he turns and he goes, but what about this? And what about the time? And the answer is a time and a times and a half and a half a time. And Daniel's like, huh? What? <laughs> I don't understand. And it's kind of like, that's okay. You don't have to understand. Verse 9, he says, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of the time. It's not for you to worry about. And then verse 13, it says, but go your way till the end and you shall rest and shall stand in the allotted place at the end of days. So three times he says, go your way and continue to live and continue to do. And it makes me think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. You know, 1 Corinthians 15. It's one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. It talks all about the glorified bodies that we are going to get when Jesus returns. When the mortal puts on the immortal. When we get our heavenly bodies and the fullness of what God has created for us. And it ends with Paul going, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Right? He's mocking Satan at this point. And it gets to the very end. But you know, the very last thing that Paul says right after that. He says, this is what's coming and it's going to be glorious. And we can be so excited about the future that we have in Jesus. And then it gets to the very end and he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I think that's what God's saying to Daniel here. He goes, well, what about when? And he goes, don't worry about that. I've got the end taken care of. So be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, and go give your life away for God's glory. Because he's already won. And you have nothing to fear. And so just think about this, and we'll end here. What does it look like? What is the appropriate risk when you know that everything is taken care of? What do we leverage for God's kingdom knowing the end? The answer is all of it. Every bit of it. Knowing that your labor is not in vain. There is nothing that you're going to give your life away for God's glory that you're going to go, man, I wish I would have had that back. None. And so that's the end of Daniel. And the times that we live in, God is going to deliver us. And we can trust him in that. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your glorious grace. We thank you that we can trust you in the midst of difficult times and seasons. We thank you that you've placed us, each one of us here at this time in the history of the world, that you've put us right here in this moment. We pray that you would use us for the fullness of what you've created for, created us for. I pray that each person here And as they are tempted to be overwhelmed with the things that are happening in our age and our time and the things that we read in the news and the things that we struggle with, that you would remind them that you are in control of every bit of it, that you are going to deliver us. And when even things get difficult and when times come, that your plan is secure and we can trust you, that we can have hope in what you've done for us. We thank you that that is true. Continue to grow that in each one of us. Give us the proper response of just trusting you in everything that is in front of us and it would be for your honor 
in your glory. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.